The passage for this morning is going to be 1 Kings chapter 17. I will read for us all of 1 Kings chapter 17. Let us listen carefully to the word of our Lord. 1 Kings chapter 17. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishba in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You uh, you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook, and after a while the brook dried up, because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water and a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first. Make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? 
You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord. O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we confess this morning that we need your power. Lord, we need your provision. Or we pray that by your spirit, you would open the eyes of our hearts. Increase our faith. Enable us more and more to love you and to love one another. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Learning a new skill, especially a, a complex skill, can be filled with very trying times. Maybe you remember a time when you learned to play an instrument or you learned how to play a difficult sport. During the journey of learning your new skill, you eventually experience a plateau where according to all outward appearances, you don't seem to be getting anywhere. You're seemingly stuck. You can become discouraged. You can begin to doubt your teacher. You begin to doubt the guide whom you previously trusted and trusted at times so easily. What we need to remember in these trying times is that hidden learning is going on. Hidden progress is being made. It's all part of the process. It may be hidden, and we might not understand how it's all working, but it's all part of the plan. We can trust our guide. The Christian life is something like this. Life in a fallen creation will always be a mixture of sufferings and blessings. A mixture of trying times and joyful times. Times when it seems like God is with you 
times when it seems like nothing could go wrong. In times when it seems like God is not with you. And nothing is going right. In the seasons of difficulty, Satan tempts us with unbelief that often leads to hopelessness, despondency, fearfulness, anger, discontentment. We ask in those seasons, is God in control of all things? Is God really all powerful? Is God good? Is God faithful to his promises? And if he is all of these things, why am I suffering? Will God provide for me in the midst of my suffering? Does he have power over my suffering? And then the million dollar question, will it ever end? The earliest audiences of the books, uh, the book of Kings, they asked similar questions in their most trying times. 1 Kings 17 is the beginning of a larger section of scripture that takes place during perhaps some of the most trying times in Israel's history. Like the characters in this story and the earliest audiences, we too are under a curse, the common curse. As a result of Adam's great sin, and therefore we suffer from the effects of this curse. But in the person and work of Christ, God has demonstrated his control over all things. In the person and work of Christ, God has demonstrated his faithfulness, his provision, his power. And therefore, we can trust and obey him in trying times. 1 Kings 17 begins with Elijah's pronouncement of God's judgment upon King Ahab for his great sin of idolatry. We first read of King Ahab at the end of chapter 16. He's described as more evil than all the kings of Israel who were before him. He takes a pagan Sidonian princess named Jezebel, as his wife. And together, they institute and promote Baal worship as the official religion of the kingdom of Israel. This is a deliberate, this is outright worship of another God. And the Lord doesn't tolerate that. So the Lord, through Elijah, confronts him. Elijah's name means, my God is Yahweh. He stands 
as a representative for the true God of Israel. He serves the Lord and he serves him alone. And so God, through his spokesman Elijah, pronounces a curse of judgment on Ahab. And this curse of judgment comes because Ahab has not obeyed the voice of the Lord. As God warned in Deuteronomy chapter 28, therefore, there will certainly not be dew nor rain in the coming years. Not until Elijah says so. The dew and the rain were a source of life in those days. The effect of this drought, of course, would be severe famine. And for many, that would mean serious hardship. Severe famine would bring serious difficulty. And for some, ultimately death. This drought pronounced by the servant of the living God was also a direct challenge to the religion of Baal. Baal was considered the storm god. He's the one who supposedly made it rain. Baal was the one who supposedly provided food for his people. So this coming drought and famine It was a proclamation of judgment and it was a proclamation that Yahweh is the true and living God. That he is the divine king with sole power and authority over his creation. Not Baal. This judgment, this proclamation of judgment was to prove that Yahweh is the true provider with power over all things, including life and death, even in the most trying times, despite how things may seem. What trying times do you find yourself in these days? What effects of the common curse are you currently suffering under? Maybe it's your own sin. Maybe it's the sin of of someone else. Maybe you're suffering with some physical illness or disease. Maybe you're suffering because of a broken or damaged relationship. Maybe someone has hurt you and you just can't move on. Maybe you're suffering from unbelief. Maybe you're suffering from deep discouragement. Maybe it's discontentment. Maybe it's anger. Whatever it is, you can't seem to overcome it. Whatever our situation may be, 
Satan wants us to believe the lie that God is not in control. Whatever our situation may be, Satan wants us to believe the lie that God doesn't have a plan and that God doesn't care. But God does rule over all. And everything that comes to pass is according to his plan, is according to his purposes. And God's plans and purposes are often hidden. But his plans and purposes are perfect. And they're ultimately for our good and his glory. And as we'll see, he proved all of this primarily through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. The life, death, and resurrection of Christ of which Peter says in Acts chapter 2, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God raised him up, overcoming our greatest enemy, death. You might be thinking, but Pastor Sam Will God provide for me in the meantime? Yes. But it's not always what we might expect. It's not always what we think we need. It's not always what we think we deserve. But yes. He will provide for you in the meantime. And even though it's not what you might expect, and even though it might not be what you think you need, God knows better than we do. Following Elijah's pronouncement of God's judgment, God tells Elijah to hide himself. And in verses 4 through 16, we see God's miraculous provisions. God sends Elijah first to the Wadi Cherith, which was a small seasonal stream. And he tells Elijah in verse four, and it will be from the Wadi you will drink. And I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. Elijah's hiding ensures two things. It ensures his safety and it ensures that the curse will be prolonged to accomplish God's intended purpose. The absence of the Lord's prophet would eliminate any possibility of him interceding on behalf of the people. Without Elijah, no relief. Without Elijah, no blessing, no provision, only judgment, only famine, only death without Elijah. Verse five, and Elijah went and did according to the word of the Lord. Verse six, and the ravens were bringing to him bread and meat and from the wadi, he was drinking. 
just as God said he would. But eventually, Elijah's source of food and water, the water dries up, and then the Lord urgently directs him to Zarephath and a widow. Zarephath was a town near the Mediterranean Sea. This was just south of Sidon. And Sidon belonged to the kingdom of Jezebel's father. And so God sends Elijah to the homeland of Jezebel. This doesn't make any sense. Or does it? The Lord is sending Elijah to the territory of King Ahab's pagan father-in-law. He's sending Elijah to the territory that was supposedly under Baal's power and Baal's provision. However, all the earth and all that fills it belongs to the Lord, the one who made it. We read in verse 9, God tells Elijah that there I have directed a woman just as he directed the ravens. There I have directed a woman, a widow, to provide for you. Not someone of great significance, not someone with plenty of resources, but a powerless, provisionless widow. Widows in those days, they were the ones who were dependent upon others. Widows in those days were poor and needy and often abandoned themselves. Widows were those who weren't able to care for much more than just caring for themselves. And in God's providence, Elijah came to the entrance of the city and a woman, a widow, was gathering sticks there. And he called to her for some water. And when she went to get it, he also asked her for a piece of bread. And her response, her response reveals the darkness of her situation. Her response reveals her expectations. The the widow responds to Elijah in verse 12. I don't even have a small piece of bread. Just a handful of flour and a little oil. I'm about to gather a couple sticks. Go. Prepare. Prepare my last handful of flour for my son and me. Eat and die. Those are her circumstances. Those are her expectations. This widow is hopeless. She's despondent. 
She's, feel, uh, she's filled with, with fear. She's expecting nothing more than death for herself and for her son any day now. That's her situation. That's what she's expecting. And Elijah says to her, do not fear. <laughs> Don't you love it when you're, you're in a really bad situation and probably fearful and you just want somebody to listen? Usually wives just want their husband to listen. Then we say something like this. Don't fear. Elijah says to her, do not fear. He gives her instructions in verse 13. And then in 14, he gives her the reason for telling her, do not fear. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, that's why you ought not to fear. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, and God promises through the prophet that the flour will not be used up and the oil will not run dry. And the widow trusts and the widow does according to the word of Elijah. And she and Elijah and her son ate daily because the flour was not used up and the oil did not run dry. Just as God said through his prophet. The power of God's word in this miraculous provision of God through his prophet foreshadows the power and the provision of Christ. Elijah was a forerunner of the promised prophet of Deuteronomy 18. And when you go on to read in, in the next chapter, chapter 18, you might understand that, that people begin to think maybe this Elijah is the promised prophet of Deuteronomy 18. Kind of looks an awful like that in chapter 18. But the beauty of these stories is when you get to chapter 19, it's clear he's not the one. He only points to the one. We learn in Mark chapter 9 at the transfiguration that Jesus is the one. Jesus is the greater and final prophet promised by God in Deuteronomy 18. And in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. The widow trusted in the power of God's word through his prophet. How much more ought we to trust in the very word made flesh? How much more ought we to trust in the very son of God himself? Who sent the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, how much more? How much more ought we to trust Jesus when he says 
Do not be anxious about your life. What is your life? What is your food? What is your clothing? What is your career? What are your relationships? What is your house? What is your child's education? Look at the birds. Are you not of more value than they? How much more will God care for his sons and daughters? Our Heavenly Father knows what we need. While famine and death covered the realms of Ahab and Baal, God, according to his wisdom, graciously and powerfully sustained life by providing for Elijah, providing for the widow, and providing for her son. The wadi and the ravens were not what you would expect. The widow and a handful of flour and a little oil were not what we would expect. But it was just as God said it would be, demonstrating his power, demonstrating his faithfulness, demonstrating his care, which is always gracious, always unfailing and sufficient. In these final verses, things take a turn for the worse. And here we see God's great power to restore life to the dead. The widow's son, we read in verse 17, becomes seriously ill. Ill to the point that he dies. And the boy's mother is crushed. She's angry. She's, who can blame her? God is all powerful. All things happen according to his plan and purposes. She received and trusted in the word of the Lord through Elijah. And yet, here she is holding her son's lifeless body. She's crushed. It wasn't supposed to be like this. She cries out to Elijah in verse 18. What do you have against me, man of God? Have you come to me to remind me of my sin and kill my son? What does God have against me? Has he come against me because of my sin? Is the death of my child God's judgment? Perhaps he was her only remaining family member. 
for a widow, her future probably depended on him. He's her only hope. She doesn't have anything else, you see. This doesn't make sense to her. She can't seem to understand how this could happen. Everything seemed to be going right. Life in this broken world under the curse will always yield times of seemingly undeserved, seemingly unexplainable suffering that we may never understand. But suffering and death won't have the final word for those who trust in the true and living God. Elijah, he doesn't answer the mother in her shock and anger, but he says to her, give me your son. And he took him from her lap and he brought him upstairs and he laid him down on the bed. And Elijah, Elijah, who was equally surprised, Elijah, who was equally devastated, cries out to God, expressing his frustration. And then he pleads to God to restore the child to life again. And the Lord answered Elijah's prayer. And the soul of the body returned to him and he came back to life. Elijah then quickly brought the boy downstairs and gave him back to his mother alive again. And in verse 24, we have the woman's response in great confession of faith in the Lord. The Lord's demonstration of his power, not only over Israel, but over all the earth, even Baal's territory, reaches a climax in the raising of this only son. The resurrection of this only son. The widow's future hope. Foreshadows the divine authority, divine power of our Christ. The Christ who raises all the dead to life. The Christ who with his own word granted life to his very own friend Lazarus. The Jesus who with his own word granted life to Jairus' daughter and also to a widow's son. But more than that, The resurrection of this only son foreshadows the resurrection of a greater only son, God the Son. He is our only hope. Our future depends on him. We don't have anyone else. And he now in his exaltation raises dead souls to spiritual life by the power of his own word and his own spirit. 
sustaining us as we entrust ourselves to him for all things. In our darkest hour, suffering under the effects of sin and death, against our greatest enemy, God is in control. He will sustain us. For if he has the power over even our greatest enemy, how much more over the least of our enemies? In 1 Kings 17, during a very trying time in Israel's history, the Lord demonstrates that he alone rules over all. The Lord demonstrates that he alone provides for his people. That he alone has supreme power and authority over life and death. The events and miracles of this chapter in Israel's history, they find their fulfillment in the life and power and the death and resurrection of Christ. Are you trusting in the person and work of Christ alone to save you from your sins? Jesus promises through his messengers that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, he will grant you the forgiveness of your sins and life that lasts forever. The truths found in this chapter are reminders that even though we live under the curse, God is faithful to both his judgments and his promises in Christ. These truths are reminders that what God says in Christ will surely come to pass. On our most difficult days, In our darkest hours, these truths remind us that God is in control, that God has a plan. And through faith in Christ, he promises to sustain us. Christ has provided us with the powerful and final revelation of God for our salvation. And for all who trust in him alone for their salvation, he has promised to provide us with his perfect obedience on our behalf and his curse-crushing death on the cross. He has provided us with the gift of his Holy Spirit, the Spirit who works within us, the Spirit who unites us to Christ, who convinces us of our sin who persuades us, enables us to embrace Christ, who enables us to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. He has provided us with the gift of the Holy Spirit who assures us of God's love for us, granting us peace, granting us joy and perseverance to the very end. Christ has provided us with his church. 
where when necessary, he provides for the needs of our bodies and where he always applies his promises to the needs of our souls. And he has provided us with an everlasting hope, a new creation without sin and without death. His sustenance and provisions might not be in the manner you always expect. But they're always gracious, always unfailing, and always sufficient. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you and we thank you for all that you have provided for us in Christ. You know what we need. Lord, forgive us for our discontentment. Forgive us for our lack of trust. Forgive us for our unbelief. And may we cling to Christ more strongly and let go of the idols of our hearts more easily. Lord, may you do all of this for the good of our souls and for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.